What is up, everybody? Uh, it is Monday, August 21st, 2023. And uh, my name is Andrew Spade. I'm going to, I think, make podcast and uh, broadcast history tonight when I debate myself for an hour uh, live on camera. It's going to be uh, pretty unprecedented. It's not something that we've done at the OBR before, but I am going to argue with myself and, and I might argue with my cat uh, from time to time as well, uh, rather than have a have a co-host. It's just going to be me arguing with myself for an hour. So I hope you're ready for that. I hope you tune in and stick with me the whole time. Wait a minute. There's Jake Burns. Never mind. Let's have a real show. Hi, Jake. How are you? Hey, how are you? Can you hear me? Test I can. one, two. Oh, I that's can. Just, yeah, that's you're live. I'm glad I could make it, man. <laughs> I appreciate it, you making the effort, buddy. It has been big, chaos big day in this for house. Jake. Big day. We we uh we finally start to feel better. The AC breaks, so you know, slept in sub ninety temperatures last night. I would I would suggest not doing that if you can avoid yeah. it. If there are folks okay. out there trying that sort of thing, so yeah, we you know we got through it though. We're okay. Got it fixed today. They they apparently the uh, capacitor. Not the flux capacitor, oh. just the capacitor was having an issue. So okay. that's fixed. And we uh back into the temperatures that start with the seven. At that's, this where that's where you want to be. That's where you want to be. That's I, yeah. I hear it's good. I the hear land good. of comfort. Anything with a seven is great. Yep. Yep. So uh, yeah, live. that let's do it. <laughs> it yeah. has been a, a grueling week plus for you, my friend. It has been one thing after another, and I mean, the only thing I can say is I, I, for your sake, I'm glad that it ha didn't happen during the season because yeah, as much as I'm sure it's been frustrating to be kind of out of commission and taking care of family members and then, you know, sweating your balls off overnight, uh, much better now than in a few weeks when there, there are real bullets flying in the, in the NFL season. 100%. So I, I you know, I, I wanted to feel sorry for myself a couple days into COVID couldn't even get that sucks, you know, that sort of attention I wanted. Had to take care of family and kids, you know. Right. So it's it's um I could use some normal. We could use some normal yeah. in in, yeah. Uh, in the everyday right now, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, and and I think, you know, hopefully things are at least on the brown side of thing, you know, kind of at a at a point of you know, kind of even evenness, right? We had the game against Philadelphia last week which as interesting as it was, didn't involve, you know, any any big news in terms of players that are probably going to play a big role for this team this year. And so, you know, they're back at practice yesterday. Today's another off day. And then a few more days of practice before they head to Kansas City for the final preseason game. So the Browns are kind of not ramping down necessarily, but in the home stretch, certainly, as they uh, prepare to probably more and more every day, Jake, looking forward to that uh, September 10th game against uh, the Bengals. Yeah, well, the good thing is you hear some some stories about um, like the Texans had to cancel their joint practices yep. because of injuries, and and right. you know it seems like they got through the injury scenario, and um, you know they've they've dealt with some. Sure, uh, you know certainly you can look through and find some, but again, a week away from what is uh, is the most grueling part of the off season here, knocking on wood as I'm I'm doing right now. They're in good shape. They're in good shape to right. head into week one with their team intact for a large percentage of that team. So, um, yeah. you know, you know, all things considered, they, you feel pretty good about where they're at uh, as a roster. Now, I'm sure we're going to talk about it. it. appears that they just want to open up some money just for <laughs> what we call in, uh, in, the, in the industry shits and giggles. Maybe yeah. they roll that into next year. Maybe they mm -hmm. spend it on a player. I would love to talk to you about that. I'm sure we're going to get to it. 
Yeah, I mean, I think we can start there because it's it was happening just before the show started, and and it does kind of, you know, it it, it is. I I mean, I think to a certain extent, it's a little bit of the Browns to us, you know, really kind of pioneering a different way of of managing the cap in the NFL. It's not that I mean, other teams restructure, right? The Saints have restructured for yeah. years, uh, but they're usually doing it year of to make room for that year. The Browns seem to be doing their restructures with the, the following year in mind, right? So these restructures, even though they're happening now in a time when it seems like, you know, it could be that a trade is, is coming, um, it, it, it feels as likely or more likely that they're actually putting themselves in position to roll another, you know, 20 to $30 million in cap forward to the 24. Uh, you know, currently, they're, I think they're $52 million over the 24 cap. So if you assume no restructures, uh, and then you roll over, say, 25. Now they're down to, what, 27 million or so over the cap. And so that becomes a much more manageable number. You you, you know, probably if you just want, uh, restructure Watson's deal, you're, you're under the cap then. And so um, it makes 2024 more doable. So, it, 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 but having said that, you know, I think I saw Tony Grossi tweet uh, that he thought something was brewing, which, you know, it, it, it's, I, it, I don't think it's likely, but, it does certainly everybody's eyebrows are going to raise when the team clears a total of, uh, you know, $20 million or so of cap space in, in the space of uh, a few days in, in late August. Right. I mean, there's no way that you can't be curious about shout out to uh, MKO Mertz uh, for subscribing for five months, but yeah, Jake, I mean, your thoughts on that kind of balance between where they need to get for next year, but also the, the possibility is certainly a possibility that they have another move in mind. Yeah, it's a win-win, in my opinion. I mean, it's right. I guess the timing's interesting because yeah, it could have been done. There are various moments in this offseason where these moves could have been made already. Yes. Um. So you you obviously your mind leaps into well, is there a rationale for this because they could have done it earlier, right. and you know you want to believe that there's something out there following it. And I think if there's anything about Andrew Barry we have learned from this offseason is that you probably should stop trying to think you know everything. I think he's surprised <laughs> yes. people yeah. on several occasions. So would mm-hmm. I be surprised if they made some kind of deal to, I don't know, bolster some position group? I don't know. I, I haven't even really been paying attention, Andrew, as to outside of the Jonathan Taylor now, a very public right. saga about his right. uh, option. And that's the that, one that, we could rule out, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, there's there's certainly no connection to Cleveland, I don't think, in that right. one. But, I mean, they need an RB3, but that would be kind of overdoing it. That would be overdoing it. Um, yeah. Be a fun overdue, but overdoing it nonetheless. <laughs> it is It is kind of like you're looking around. There isn't a disgruntled Jadevian clowny like there was right. back in his Texans days or right. Jamal Adams like there was right. uh, with the Jets. So you don't really know. I guess it could be a team as uh, behind closed doors sort of publicly made aware uh that that somebody's available and that is always in the realm of possibility you you know the no just just thinking out loud here the one player that is currently holding out and is a defensive tackle is chris jones that is true chris jones is holding yeah. out i, f- you, I you feel would think like that they would the chiefs would never deal him and certainly yes. you know not to a, a, a another team in the afc if they could avoid it but just to your point trying to think around the league of who has been vocally dissatisfied yeah, I can't. I, was, I mean, I, I think that what's his name, Jacobs in, in um, Vegas, another running right. back holding yep. out still. Mm-hmm. I, am I missing anyone else that's holding out off the top of your head? Zach Martin just came back for he the did. Cowboys. He was holding out, and that's another one where the Browns are are loaded at that position. Um, 
I, I, unless I'm missing somebody, I really think that's it at this point in the offseason. And yeah. it really has been yeah. mostly running backs, which obviously is a moot thing for the Browns because of Nick Chubb and, and where they're at with him. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I made a joke on Twitter, you know, responding to a joke of yours about Aaron Donald, just because, you know, the Rams are in such a, a place of wanting to, to you know, uh, kind of straddle, you know, a rebuild while also still being competitive. And you just wonder if Aaron Donald has the desire to be a part of that. Uh, mm-hmm. when he's considering retirement every year. Um, and and as much as they have strengthened the defensive tackle room, it's still the area where a difference-making player would still make the most impact, I think, on their roster, other than uh, a really high-profile linebacker, which I don't think they would ever make that move. The other player, Jake, that, that I saw somebody speculating about, and I think it's at least worth mentioning, is what about a wide receiver like Devontae Adams? It's possible. I think they're also keeping their. I mean, I'm still hearing some weird things out of Buffalo with Diggs. I don't think they're right. moving Diggs, but like, right. I think what is going on here, this is my best guess. We want to keep our options open throughout the year. If something comes up, a Von Miller right. comes up, we would be interested in pouncing on said player, said veteran. Yep. If we're in right. a six and three, seven and three capacity mm-hmm. at that point, I don't know what the exact deadline is week wise, but yep. they would be in position to be able to do that. If not, and we want to just roll it into next year. We can. We then afford the roster, like you mentioned earlier. We have better flexibility, and we don't have to stress maybe some of those Amari Cooper-like cuts right. that you're sort of looming and projecting way out in front. So, right, good. It's a good thing. I think this is overall a good thing. It's not. It's not in any way, shape, or form a bad thing. It's keeping them uh, very comfortable this year. The waistband loose to be able to fit um, a couple mm-hmm. more helpings of uh, turkey in there before <laughs> you have to stop. And if they right. want to, that's an option. You know, you always kind of sit there and on the couch and weigh that out. Do I need to go back and get more or do I just call it a day? You always probably go back and get more. But nonetheless, <laughs> it is uh, a scenario where they can get more. Yeah. Now yeah. they have a couple yeah, belt they, they, left. Right. They picked up another plate. Yeah, exactly. They're, exactly. they're, thinking, about, they're thinking about thirds. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll, the other that's, thing... that's the end of my Thanksgiving analogy. There you go. <laughs> I always want to save room for at least two pieces of pie. The other thing about uh, the timing that I've thought, and I think we've talked about this uh, possibly previously, is the idea that perhaps being up against the cap gave them more negotiating leverage with uh, teams and, and, you know, or agents rather, uh, when they say, well, we've got $10 million in cap space. We can't afford, you know, a big uh, guaranteed, you know, signing bonus type thing right off the bat. We have to kind of spread this out. So, um, you know, from that perspective, maybe the restructures, indicate that they are kind of at the at the point of being done with this year's team and don't feel like they need the lower cap room as a negotiation tactic i don't know how effective that negotiation tactic would be given that agents can use over the cap just like anybody else and see who's eligible for a restructure but it's just another you know i I think the timing is for sure you you said it and i I just want to echo it the timing is for sure the most interesting part of this right because it, it doesn't you know the the as you said there's you've got late june after mini camp is over before you go on vacation you've got right before training camp when everybody comes back into the building that you can get these sorts of things done you know as i said before the saints do all this stuff in march before the free agency even begins to make room to be able to you know get under the cap uh, to comply with the nfl's regulations so it's just to do it you know 3 weeks before the season starts it's hard not to kind of have your head on a swivel and I think, like you said, it could be a little bit of column A and column B where with with that sort of cap space, it's not just who they could afford because they really could afford, you know, with 30-some million dollars worth of cap space, they could afford almost any contract in the NFL. The, the point is, is that they have enough room to still roll over 
20 plus million dollars and make an acquisition if they wanted to of a player that was more affordable. So it, it's it's kind of, you know, like you said, possibly a both hand. And I think it definitely, you know, my eyes are wide open through the end of this week, especially past Saturday, if they feel like there's a move that can be made to guarantee them a player that makes a difference. I don't think they're going to be shy about making it. They shouldn't be, right? They shouldn't be. And I just, I don't know. I guess what I'm trying to reiterate is I don't know that this is a move with somebody already in mind. I doubt right. that, but it is right. a move that you know you need to do for the future anyway. And you know right. that this is something now that creates flexibility to take on. I just keep pointing to it. There have been deadline deals. I mean, Odell mm -hmm. was obviously the Browns were on the wrong side of that one, but like right. there have been guys sitting there at the deadline that can help teams push them over the top. We've seen examples of it time and time again. And now you have that capability while also right. being able to roll every single penny of that into next year's flexibility to, mm -hmm. you know, keep swinging for the fences on the Shelby Harris's of the world. So, or, you yep. know, Zadaria Smith types of the world. So it's uh, yeah. good, good, to, good to hear all around. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it can be both. It can be both flexibility for the future. The rollover thing has really been such a gift to NFL teams to allow them the flexibility to manage their cap kind of in the present and the future simultaneously. And I think Andrew Barry is, kind of at the forefront of understanding that advantage of of doing future accounting while at the same time preserving present flexibility. So um, I, th I think we've kind of talked through that topic enough. Um, speaking of topics that have been talked through enough, you know, the, uh, the rest of Brown's Twitter since the game on Thursday night has been two things. What are they going to do about Cade York? And uh, is Austin Watkins going to make the 53-man roster? And if he is, at whose expense? Those have been to my eye, really the only two things that have been discussed in terms of, you know, topics, debates, and the Austin Watkins thing, I, you know, I, I, I was pretty vocal, I think, on Thursday that after that performance, I think you have to find a way to keep the guy because I just think, preseason or not, production in NFL games is an important metric. And, and playing well and playing in a way that, you know, shows that you are engaged and and learning and you know have a feel for the game and have a passion for the game I think all of that is only positive and I think there's room in their wide receiver room for a, a guy like him that could be cheap over the next few years and could contribute if he's not ever going to be a true you know uh, even starter right of it just a depth piece that allows them some flexibility that kind of was I think a pretty milk toast idea that it would be nice to keep him. Hopefully they can find a way to do it. There's other players that I'm less excited about them keeping. And it, and it kind of morphed from there into this, this real battle uh, of not, and it didn't, I mean, I wasn't really involved. I was outside enjoying my weekend for the most part, but, but you saw a lot of people on both sides of this saying they've got to get rid of David Bell. He hasn't done anything in the league. And then other play, people saying it doesn't matter what Austin Watkins has done. It's only been the preseason. He's 25 years old. He's never really made it a, a dent in the NFL till now. Why are we talking about him so seriously? And so it has become a sort of litmus test for a lot of Browns fans. And there's been a lot of hard feelings on both sides about some people think it's it's almost impossible for him to make this roster. Other people think it, the Browns would be brain dead not to do it. And I think it's interesting, as always, with, with any sort of social media, how quickly everything gets to the edges, right? There's no more gray area in the middle it's just either he's the best wide receiver since victor cruz in the preseason a decade ago or he's you know this is a waste of our time and we shouldn't even be talking about him. he'll be the first guy cut on saturday evening yeah there's two scenarios here and you have to decide which one either you understand 
you try to understand sort of like where they're coming from with it or you don't and you right. get upset about it. He's yep. played well enough to make an NFL roster. I think he's an NFL level receiver. I'm not here to call him some massive contributing player, but I think he's done enough to make a roster somewhere. I've seen certainly seen other players at that position across the NFL and think he's more functional uh, than even past versions of the Browns players mm-hmm. that have been at that position. I mean, no, no offense to Anthony Schwartz, but he just is he's better. So like to me, the Browns have to make a choice. Do they want him on his roster or is somebody else going to be able to claim him from you? Or you, can you trade him, right? Right. Can you trade him? Uh, because that's another element of something that you could do to try to avoid getting absolutely nothing out of the player who I think, and you would agree with me, Andrew, is a potential player. He could he could even go to another level. So um, it just comes down to Jakeem Grant. Do you think you can get by without Jakeem Grant? Because I think no matter what you get with, uh, with Grant, like – I don't make sure I phrase this the right way. I don't think you're getting a wide receiver contributor there. I just, I just right. don't see it. So right. to me, that means you're just accepting that he's going to be a special teams guy. And that comes from internally understanding either. You think you now have enough wide receiver depth that when Donovan comes onto the field for punt return, which again, it's not like we're just saying like, there's no other option. Donovan was a really good punt returner last yeah, year. He was, he was catching on. And I commented on it several times that like you could see it was clicking for him Mm -hmm. finding lanes. He obviously had the great touchdown return against the Texans had a long one against the bucks. He has figured it out. So it's like, not are you, you're not as desperate as you have been in years past to fill that position is kind of my main point. Andrew is like, you saw Jerome Ford make some nice returns last year, busting past the 30 into the 35, even 40 yard line range. Those are, those are huge NFL returns. So, I think they have two very capable players. They, to me, if they if they find a third running back, they have enough depth that Jerome Ford shouldn't be hard pressed into like, oh, I just returned this kick. Now I have to be on the field. Same for right. Donovan. Hey, I just had a twenty yard return. Hey, can Cedric Tillman pop in there for first down? I'll get you in a second. Like, this is not hard. Like to, right. again, there have been years that we've been discussing this roster, and we're like, who the hell's the punt returner? Who's the kick returner? We were putting <laughs> Felton back there years ago. Yeah. We were yeah. seeing them put guys that just couldn't, like Schwartz was doing it. Remember in New England when he just got absolutely throttled and ended up yep. in concussion protocol? They have the answers. It's right in yeah. front of them. So to mm. me, I don't see a need for Jakeem Grant. I just don't. I, and not that he, if they end up keeping him, it's not that he won't, you know, there's not that he won't have something. He'll he'll be able to be functional. I just don't think it's like, oh, stick Jakeem Grant back there. Now he's every bit as dynamic as, as uh, you know, what you were getting out of Donovan back there as a punt returner. Right. I don't think that's true. I think Donovan was playing really well. And I understand Jakeem Grant is a former pro bowler. That doesn't miss me. That was Jakeem Grant when he was younger and the guy just tore his Achilles. So like how much of that is there anymore? So he hasn't participated yep. in any preseason games. I understand he's been out there at camp and he looks fine. That's all great, but I don't see a gigantic need for him on the roster. Now I think David Bell makes it. So it comes down to a simple and the, the, the sort of, little uncomfortable piece of this is what are they getting out of like is Goodwin going to play we still need to hear that like if Goodwin's going to be active then that changes everything and you probably really don't have then it comes down to you know do you really want to move on from David Bell the second year of a rookie deal and bring on Watkins that's a different conversation but to me this whole thing about uh, Jakeem Grant it's like why 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 is he such a lock to make the it doesn't add up for me it does like I just don't see it that way I think they got They'll have a chance to add a running back uh, to to help ease the Jerome Ford burden. And you have two guys that are 
pretty dang good at doing those roles. So uh, it's not a year like even going into last year, I think, Andrew, we, we thought like who the heck yeah. is returning kicks and punts. We didn't even know. Like now I feel like it's clearer than it's ever been. So stressing this need for Jakeem Grant, which feels like a luxury that is completely unnecessary. And it's like, OK, I get why they would keep him if they do. But right. I would not go that direction. I would go the, the choice of keeping wide receivers around my organization who I feel like if Amari struggles with injuries, if Elijah gets hurt because he's been hurt in the past and he's dealing with ribs already, yep. I have someone I can throw out there and feel his competence. So that's just me. Right. Right. And and I think, as you mentioned before, Jakeem Grant at this point probably doesn't offer much in the wide receiver no, room. And so you're carrying a wide receiver who's a pure special teams player, which is not a necessity if you have other players that can handle the return in, a, in an average or plus capacity. And, and last year, really Ford and, and, and Donovan were both, were, were both plus returners. So uh, yeah, the grant signing is, is, is from before the, the emergence of those players as returners. And so I, I do tend to agree with you that I think it makes the most sense to move on from him, keep six, you know, as you said, Goodwin being on the non-football injury list and then Bell and Watkins being your, fifth and six wide receivers to start the season. And maybe if Goodwin returns at some point, you know, that's a conversation we can have. As you said, we don't know right now. That's we're still in the dark. The last thing we heard from anybody on that was what they said before camp started. And that's been a month now. So, uh, you know, I think at times the, uh, uh, un, un, or the, I guess the informal expectation I should say has, has been that Goodwin is, is likely to miss most or all of the season, but that hasn't been confirmed. And so you don't want to traffic when you're talking about somebody's health. You don't want to traffic and speculation like that. So yeah. and um, he's out you know, there that, again, like at camp, he's out there on the sideline and engaged. Right. he doesn't, right. it doesn't scream to me a player that is done for the year, but it's certainly, it's certainly possible. It's just such a, it's such a finicky thing. So, you know, yep. a guy like who's, who knows he's done for the years, not wasting his time going to camp and being a part yep. of everything, but we'll see, you know, they, he could be waiting on an answer himself. So Right. You know, there's there's that element of the whole deal. Yeah, I, I think it's I think there's a lot unknown at that part of the, you know, the roster. The end of the wide receiver room is one of the more interesting things. So we talked about that. And I think, you know, I think we're pretty much on the same page about that. And I think, you know, it, as you said, I think the important thing to stress is, you know, they might lose Watkins to another team on waivers. I, I think it's possible, maybe even probable. Uh, same thing with Jakeem Grant. You know, I think another team could definitely take a flyer on him, a team that doesn't have a return option going into the season. But none of these, you know, decisions either way are you going to kill the, the Browns for, I don't think. You know, uh, you, you, you can understand the rationale both ways. Uh, at, at the, the one, so the other, the other topic of conversation all weekend and one where I think it's hard to make the case for what the Browns seem like they're going to do, although I, I think that it's more talk than action, is that they that they have been vocally very uh, supportive of Cade York and and have hinted nothing about bringing in competition or looking at other kickers. I, I mean, I, I think we both agree, Jake, that that's mostly just lip service because what else are you going to say in the uh, you know uh, third fourth week of the preseason when every other NFL kicker is basically already on a roster? But uh, it, it is it, you know I guess where I'm going with this, Jake, is just to say that I think if if they did open the season with York on the roster, I think there would be room. I think there'd be ample room, honestly, to criticize their approach to the position. Yeah, it depends. I mean, I don't know, man. I, I think 
if Kate has another bad showing, there's there's going to be more rumblings, right? There's going to be more concern. I mean, I, I don't have an answer for it, man. I really yeah. don't. If they want to risk it and try to keep developing him, that's their choice to make, obviously. And it's their result to live with. If you right. lose games because of this guy, nobody was forcing you to keep him. Yes, you gave up a meaningful... You went after him and, and, and you spent a meaningful pick on him. And I understand that he has talent. Um, I don't understand maybe the spot they selected him. If I'm being fairly honest, I'm fine with a late sixth, seventh round flyer on a kicker. Not, not a third or fourth rounder. I think that's just um, too big of a risk, but like, I don't know, man, to me, I, I get what they're trying to do right now. I just have concerns about it being the right choice to show him confidence, but you sometimes these guys, and I, I know we've mentioned this before with, with like Stefanski was around when Minnesota got super impatient with Daniel Carlson and yep. we see what Carlson is now out in Vegas. And there's a fear that, that he has enough talent to be another version of that. But the, the just sort of crummy part of all of this is you don't have time. Like if a defensive tackle struggles in 25 snaps, it's not going to usually, I don't want to say right. every time, it's not going to make or break the game. But right. when a kicker struggles and their misses are magnified, it is very public and very out in the open. And it's like quarterback in that sense where not every mistake in the NFL is created equal. And there's just like this, this I get it. I want them to be patient. I want to allow him to come along. I think there's enough leg talent there to be a really good kicker. Yep. But the patience costs people jobs and the patience can cost people more than what is, um, you know, sort of worth that, the risk that you're running of, of keeping yeah. him. So it's a lot of words I'm saying here, but it's just like the, the duration of growth for a kicker is not the same as 85% of positions in the NFL. And right. it could really hurt you to say, we are going to do this. We're going to be patient. It could cost you two games. And those two games are the difference between nine and eight and 11 and six. And that's the difference in a playoff berth. And that could be the difference in someone's job. So yep. I don't know. They're going to run. They're going to make a choice. We're going to obviously talk about what direction that choice takes them. But like, to me, there's nothing we, we, we can say what we want to say, which is they should be bringing in competition. They should be doing this. That That's probably true. That's all probably true. But they're laying in the bed that they're making. And if they want to run yep. that risk, then so be it. We, we, you yep. know, we just have to sort of, um, and it'll be incredibly frustrating. And a lot of smart people will say the right things I think about that decision, but it also is another thing that it could work out yep. where he finds it and it ends up being okay. But at this point, as we're looking at it, it doesn't feel like that outcome is very likely. So it's really hard to just sit here and say, Hey, have trust in these guys that they're going to make right. the right choice. Uh, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, th I think it, it is hard to have that trust. I uh, got to a point this weekend thinking about it where I, I just think it's too obvious. You know, I think I, I hear what you're saying. And I, I think yeah. that there is definitely a case that you can make that you don't want to give up on a guy too soon. But I, I think that the, the choice is so clear for them, given how the season starts and how important they have to know with how competitive the AFC is, how, how important every game is. Now, you know, you can say there's no care, there's no kicker that they're going to bring in that's a guarantee, right? But I think that the issue with with York right now is that 
uh, he doesn't seem to have the fundamentals of the position down. And even if another kicker were, were to miss a kick that costs you a game, you would feel like, well, everybody does miss kicks, but it's at least the process looks sound for that kicker. Right now, the problem with York is, is that the process doesn't seem sound. From kick to kick, he doesn't seem to know where where it's even really going. And so um, my... It's a mess. It's a mess. Yeah, my, he hasn't hunch, shanked anything. No. I'll say this. He had those nasty shanks last year, and yeah. he hasn't had any of those. I yeah. mean, he's in the NFL. Let's hope not. Um, <laughs> but he has lost control of mid-flight trajectory where you can tell he thinks the ball is going through the uprights halfway off of his foot and then right. it's fading or it's drawing and he's like just sort of flabbergasted. He just stands there in disbelief. So, yep. yeah, man, I didn't mean to stop your hunch there, but that's no, just I, it's di yeah. it's a little different, I guess, is what I'm saying than last year's yes. issues. Right. Yeah, I, but, but and that is the point, though, is that he doesn't it's not you know, oh, well, I started it right thinking the wind was going to push it back in, and then yeah. it didn't. It's I'm kicking it as hard as I can, and about halfway through, I don't know where it's going to go. That's really what it seems like is happening with these kicks. And so the argument for changing to a different kicker is essentially most of these kickers do know kind of where their kicks are going. So yes. um, my, my expectation is that Stefanski is saying this stuff because he has to, because there's no upside in them talking about replacing York before they can, and they can't really replace him until all of these kickers become available. We saw was it the Colts today or another team? I can't I can't remember who who waived Rodrigo Blankenship, but he's going to be one of the one of the free agent kickers who's available. There's going to be a bunch of them because there's kicking competitions in I think half of the NFL teams right now. So a bunch of kickers will be available by uh, Tuesday next week, uh, and so I, I think at that point this all takes care of itself. I don't think that they're willing to uh, go into the season with this big of a question mark at kicker. I'll add one more thing. Cutting York actually gives them a little bit more roster flexibility as well. Because, for example, like Alex Wright probably needs to be on the initial 53 because you're going to short-term IR him potentially yeah. or just make him inactive for a game or two. If you cut York, that allows you to keep another player until you short-term IR Wright the next day and then replace him with a kicker at that point. So yeah. there's also a little bit of uh, an advantage to having that extra roster spot to play with because I think, you know, you you most everybody every team's going to carry a kicker so if you aren't carrying one through cutdowns it's like a free spot so i think there's a little bit of a leg up there but generally i just don't think that they're going to risk everything that they've got to risk this year on a on a kicker that doesn't know where the ball is going uh to this question from scooter domus and chad about uh the holding issues uh my understanding is that that is is a more a thing of the past and that they've worked with Bohorquez to iron that out yeah, and there I, was somebody who posted like his the spot that Cade it was a little different than what I've seen people talk about before that like the spot where Cade was putting his foot like as he I don't know if you guys probably do but you, maybe you don't you pay attention how kickers go through their setup regimen they put their foot down in a spot right next to the holder then you back up three steps back and then go to your left usually two steps that can vary on kick length or whatever but that's the general um, structure you see most use so. Um, the, the, there was like a before and after of where Kate's foot is and the ball was outside of it, maybe a six inches outside of it. If that is a problem internally, they would have discussed it. There's right. not a doubt in my mind. Kate York, right. who's missing kicks in games, wouldn't say, Hey, Bubba, this is a problem with my holder. He can't hold on to the football the way I need him to. He's not putting it down where I need him to put the football down. That would have been broached it could yep. it could be they could be dealing with it right now but i think from what i've seen from 
um, Bahorquez holding, it's looked yeah. clean to me. Yep. It's looked clean. And I haven't ever really seen Cade come up to him and be like, hey, you're not doing this, that, or the other on the field. And usually if they a player recognizes it on the field, they'll say something to their yeah. guy immediately after letting go of the of the kick. Right. So I don't think it's a thing. And if it is, I just feel like we're way too far along to blame all these missed kicks on that specific thing. So, um, yeah, we'll it's, it it's another Occam's razor situation, right? Which one is more likely? The guy that fell apart last year and couldn't make a kick for a large portion of the season is still struggling or the the holder is, you know, not doing his job. And it, it, the, 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 the bare fact of it, Jake, is that it's much easier to replace a punter than it is to replace a kicker. There's probably about 50 punters that can punt in the NFL and there's probably about 20 good NFL kickers. So you'd rather, if you got to choose, you'd rather have an issue with your punter every time out. Now, Bohorquez is is good, right? He's better than the average punter, I think, but he's not good enough that you're saying, well, that's fine. We can afford to miss half of our field goals. So yep. uh, I, I think it just this is one where it's Occam's razor. Simplest solution or the you know the most obvious solution is the is the correct one. And so I think the holding is, is probably fine. If it wasn't, they would deal with it in, an, in the easier way, which is to find a new punter, which they could easily do. I just want to say again, moral of the story with the kicker thing. They see what we see. If they don't want yep. to replace him, I'm not blaming Cade York if they don't want to replace him. Oh, agreed. 100%. I'm blaming Kevin, and I'm blaming Andrew yes. for not replacing him. So that, not and that's Andrew, a great point to make. Like, I will not sit here and, and mother F Cade York up and down the field. That's a great point. Uh, and he doesn't deserve to be booed either. No, he, I mean, like yeah. they're, they have every piece of evidence they need to right. move on and get a more consistent leg in here. Yep. If they yep. want to and run are, them out and there, there are kickers available. There will be, there are, week. there are kickers available. That's right. Yep. So I just yep. want to reiterate, like if they keep them and it works out huge pat on the back, that's great. That's, that's right. what, that's the best outcome for everybody. But if you do keep him and he fails and he costs you more than one or two games. Yeah. Good luck, man. Like that is a really big indicator that you can't handle the tough decisions it takes to run a winning franchise. So yeah, right. Good luck with that. Right. And, 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 you know, specifically like this is, this is an Andrew Barry decision, right? I mean, I know we know that they work hand in hand on a lot of these things, but ultimately Barry's the one with control over the roster. So yeah. if, if York is here, I mean, it, I agree with you. It, we are looking at Kevin and Andrew and Bubba Ventron to some extent, but you're, sure. you're definitely looking mostly at, at Andrew Barry's decision because he knows how easy it is to find another kicker. And Kevin's uh, not going to sit here and throw his body. I mean, like, right. Exactly. They brought in Deshaun Watson. I don't think that right. Kevin is going to throw his body over the guardrails here and say, you are not letting go of. This right. Player. Exactly. Like, exactly. It's Andrew Barry's decision. He's got to yep. make it. And if he doesn't yep. want to do that, because, you know, I mean, I, again, like from what we know of these two, you know, of, of, of Andrew or sorry, of Kevin, like, it feels like if Andrew goes to him and says, hey, man, what do you think of him? What Should we keep him? Do you believe in him? He's going to say, yeah. Like, I, I feel like he's just a believe in you type of coach. Like, to a fault sure. at times. For sure. Oh, absolutely. He's going to believe yeah. in his players. He so loves his guys. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess there's a world where the, Kevin's a lot different than we think he is, and he, he storms into Andrew's office and says, give me a new kicker. But I feel like these guys are going to say he's talented enough. We can get him to make kicks. and. You know, that just is is nerve wracking. And I think that the tough decision has to come from Andrew Barry. Like, hey, we're yep. going to do this. I'm sorry. Yep. We made a choice, you know, but yep. I, who knows? Who knows if they're going to do that? Who knows? Yeah. And I, I, I don't think we want to go too far into this, but it does tie into another criticism of Andrew Barry that's getting more airing as the years go on, which is his reluctance to move on from draft picks that he's made. You know, I mean, I think Anthony Schwartz would be the 
the primary example of that as a as a wide receiver who has produced nothing at, really at the NFL level and remains you know on the roster even as we speak. But uh, there are other you know there are other examples. What happened with the defensive tackle room last year? And I don't know how much credence I give to that uh, complaint or criticism of Andrew Barry necessarily. But I, I do think it's worth bringing up in this context because Cade York was, as you mentioned earlier, a fourth-round draft pick, an early fourth-round draft pick. And so if there's some dimension of this, which is an uh, inability to accept you know, that it's a sunk cost and you got to move on, that is a, a flaw in the way that Andrew Barry operates as a general manager, and he deserves plenty of criticism for it. So I think we can, I think we can leave this there. Now, Jake, were you able to get to training camp yesterday? I was, yeah, I was. Um I want to say one more thing on Caden, and I swear I'll show Yeah, up. do it. If he wasn't, and I've said this before on shows, if he wasn't a fourth-round pick, they wouldn't have waited this long. I just want to reiterate that. If he was yeah. a UDFA, as most kickers are, he would have been gone. So they're tying themselves already to this mm -hmm. whole thing. So yeah. anyway, yes, at camp yesterday, and uh, first time I've been there in uh, a couple years, and uh, it was good to be there. Good environment. Some things have changed since I last went in terms of what how they use the third uh, the third field that they have, but uh, a lot, a lot the same, but they, they split up the fields and uh, get a couple different bleachers for folks to sit in and yeah, good environment. It was really packed, which was, which is great to see very hot, but um, you know, good to see a full, full, full atmosphere for, for the, for the players and the fans. Do you have any, any takeaways from, I don't, I know it's going to be really hard to watch what they're working on, on the field, but was there anything that kind of jumped out at you? It sounds like yesterday was a pretty good day for the offense. Yeah, so I thought they went early. Um, you know how this sort of structures. I just kind of want to go over practice structure for people. You usually will come out. You'll do some sort of walkthrough. You'll get your offense together, get the defense together. Hey, we're doing these these installs today. We're doing these things. We're going to focus on these aspects, and you walk through them. You kind of half speed it. Um, you know, going through, getting the huddle, getting it out of the huddle, using the plays we're going to you know be installing or using a lot today, and then. You'll get together. You'll do an early team period, which is meant to kind of get the juices flowing, get everybody, you know, pumped up competitive period. And they'll go to individual, go through the individual stuff, get back together, do another team period. After that team period, a special teams period where they'll go through usually the punt, punt return aspects. Then back uh, into another team period or seven on seven Skelly stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then and then usually have another special teams period, which is the kickoff, kick return, or PAT, field goal groups. Um, and then usually sort of uh, close with some sort of hyper-competitive uh, thing as well. So it was pretty uh, consistently structured the way it, it normally is. I thought the offense had some really good moments in this one. Uh, there, were, there were several plays. I really liked Greg Newsome. I thought he had uh, a couple really nice down, a couple on Elijah Moore that I thought were impressive. Sticky coverage, thought he was good. I thought Deshaun was good for the most part, didn't turn the football over, did everything he was supposed to do with the opportunities uh, that they presented uh, to them in that in that scenario. Uh, there was a couple throws of his that I think he probably wanted back, but not anything to me too, too crazy. Um, he had a great touchdown ball to Njoku up the seam on a 20-in portion of the, of the session. Really great throw, really good catch from David. He had a great throw to... Um, uh, trying to think, make sure I get this right. He so I think it was Amari Cooper. He had a great right sideline um, uh, catch for him, which ended up being I think it would ended up in a touchdown. So that was good to see. I had a couple nice connections with Moore on short routes, and then he had uh, two bigger plays to end the practice. So 
he ended up hitting um who did he hit there i think the first one he hit was to i think he hit a i think he hit a deep right light side ball that the uh, cam cameron justice put out another one to cooper and then they threw a little sort of shotgun bootleg which was fun to see so they hit um a little like he's kind of he's coming off the fake they they kick out a guard he's kind of pushing out to the right side and they hit a usually used to call it a a, a dino route which is a corner back to a do a post but it was working across the field entirely it was a deep 40 yard touchdown uh, to close out practice so he was really good i thought dobbs was pretty bad uh, okay. i didn't feel like he was accurate all day and didn't feel like he had a really great understanding of where they wanted the football going all the time so I didn't like what I saw from. Do- I didn't see very many DTR reps. I, I I mean, just like they didn't run a third group out there. So that yeah. was a bit, um, I, re- a bit. I read that uh, in I think Jake Trotter's report that they didn't. He didn't get any team reps yesterday. Not not a single one, which I found to be strange considering very how strange. off Dobbs was. Yeah. Um, then let me let me make sure I've got. I'm trying to look at some notes I had from the session. Dewan Jones did get in a left tackle a little bit. Nothing really crazy with his left tackle reps, but he did have a false start that kind of irked everybody and I think got him <laughs> got him pulled. Like I think that with Jones, I think that there's um in a universal agreement between the coaching staff and everybody that this guy clearly has a lot of talent. Like mm-hmm. he's clearly got a lot of talent, but I think there's some times where there are some bonehead plays that happen. He, like I've seen in some uh, the Philly game, he went the wrong direction on mm-hmm. a, on a key late down play. So I think there's some concern about the mental side with him, the false start. It just looked like the way they reacted to that false start was, can he, he we got to get him to stop doing these things. And he took right. his helmet off. He was frustrated. Um, but that's, that's some of the stuff that stood out. Taki Taki practiced in team a lot, which stood out mm-hmm. to me. Um, you know, as he gets ready to ramp up for the season, walk was out there first and second team playing some. So those linebackers, First group linebackers. I'll be interested if Talk or Walker end up getting some live game mm-hmm. opportunities, uh, you know, in this upcoming weekend. But yeah, I just thought the offense had a really efficient first team offense had a really efficient day. I noticed several different times they were doing a uh, they're doing a lot of speed option, which is like four times I saw this in wow. team setting. And I've seen it in video too, <laughs> just like boundary speed option, just quarterback yeah. in man line of scrimmage, read pitching yeah. it if he if he sits on the quarterback. And like I've seen KC do it every now and again. It's in the NFL. It pops up every mm-hmm. now and again, but they pretty clearly want to take advantage of teams in certain uh, formational looks that they want to run somebody on the sideline. And um, I've just seen it. And it stood out to me as far as like scheme stuff. I'm like, that's interesting. I've never seen Kevin run speed, but they, they might want to run some speed option stuff just to get – some cheap yards that way. So um, it takes me back 15 years to like NCAA football when you could just run does. speed option 40 times a game. If you had the faster quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah. It's something that I think they want to take advantage of like tight end formation, like, you know, where ends are kind of squoze down inside a little bit. They want to take advantage yeah. of that stuff. So uh, be on the lookout for that. I don't know if they haven't done it in a game this year, as mm-hmm. we know, a preseason game. So it just might be something they're kind of back pocketing, but Certainly stood out to me, but yeah, that's kind of all I had from practice okay. to one moving around. James Hudson moved inside a little bit, which is something I think he needs to start perhaps doing a little bit more of because I don't believe he's going to be a tackle long-term. So yeah. yeah, keep, keep that in mind uh, as well. Seeing him move inside was a good thing in my opinion. Um, Whipler, a lot of left guard snaps mm-hmm. still continuing that trend. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, that's uh first and second group is 
pretty set in stone in my opinion um that we've seen out there yeah uh, it hasn't really deviated from that much Watkins didn't have any flash plays there wasn't anything crazy in the wide receiver uh world there but but uh just again i thought a really thorough and good practice for them overall yeah, I, I think it, it definitely feels like they have maybe, you know, turned a little bit of a corner. I think that only running two groups, you know, is is indicates to me that they're they're going to rely on, you know, the game tape that they've already put out there against the Jets and the Eagles to make some of these end of the roster decisions. Uh, and then obviously some of those players are going to play a lot in Kansas City in the second half. But yeah, but it and feels reminder, like, like those guys, a lot of guys will be cut by now. Right. Like. You know, right? Ninety yeah, minutes. That is, yeah, that's a good this reminder. Yeah, right. Typically, how yes. teams would be practicing right. at this point. So, right. Yeah, at this point, you normally would only have about two depth charts. You know, two starting or two lineups worth of players left. You know, you wouldn't yeah. have the full ninety. And so, yeah, I think they've, there's obviously some guys they've already made a decision on, but there's no reason to make that move official until you know when uh, you know certainly at least after you get through that last game healthy, but. But you do think that you know it does seem like they're they're kind of moving from a practice standpoint, moving away from you know early training camp, you know, moving more towards not quite you know game week prep, but that with that sort of a thing in mind. And I think I'm I'm really intrigued by this these reports of of those option plays because I think again it was Jake Trotter I think who mentioned that it was both Nick Chubb and Elijah Moore who were mm -hmm. uh, running those, and so it, that that to me I have this. It's somewhere between a, a prediction and a fantasy <laughs> uh, of them kind of being able to come out and catch uh, the Bengals really flat-footed uh, week one, you know, uh, just because, you know, they the, the Browns' offense is, is definitely changing. We know that. We don't know to what extent. And I think if they feel really comfortable about some of these more exotic elements like, you know, option plays and, and uh, you know, the the, the – we, we we mentioned a few weeks ago about the, you know they've obviously added inside zone to their shotgun run arsenal if they have a few tricks up their sleeve so to speak mm -hmm. it could make that game really interesting just from the perspective of having that element of surprise and i think it's an opportunity right the the you know week 1 is always the week that you have the most time to prepare for every year right and so uh from that perspective we know what the bengal's are going to look like right i mean the only Seemingly, the only relevant question about the Bengals is is who's going to be playing quarterback, and it sounds like Joe Burrow is on his way uh, to being ready to play Week One, and it sounds like Zach Taylor would throw him out there even if he doesn't practice before that <laughs> yeah. the, the game. So, uh, so you expect that, and you know what you're going to see from the Bengals on defense. It's the same defensive coordinator, so you know you kind of know that the the Browns' schemes. Meanwhile, the the defense has changed, not totally, but some. And then the and the offense obviously has also changed, even though the the people administering it have stayed the same. And so I think there's a chance. It's not. I'm not saying that this is for sure going to happen, but I think there's a chance that they can really get one over on Cincinnati, and maybe you know come out, get to an early lead, let the defense kind of cook in that home home game week one environment. Yeah, that element of deception and some newness is going to be. Listen, we hope it's going to be worthwhile. Um, right. You know, the right. Bengals are sort of, uh, in my opinion, a little bit of the gold standard for this stuff because they have had consistency there, but they have found yeah. ways to reinvent some things like early last mm -hmm. year was well documented. Some of the structural issues their passing game had, and then they went right. out and fixed them with how they ran from the shotgun. Right. And then we know Lou Anarumo is week to week uh, willing to, to be different. 
And mm-hmm. um, that is, um, like I said, that's the gold standard for what you want to be right now because you're not losing any coordinators. If you look around the division, they're the team that has had the most head coach and coordinator consistency in the last five right. years. And that's right. speaks to where they're at structurally, right? So mm-hmm. um, long story short, it should help that the Browns will be doing some things, adding some wrinkles, looking different than they have in the past. But, uh, and I, I'm not saying you said this or anything, but that right. does not guarantee anything. And no. the Bengals, I'm sure, are going through similar thought processes yeah. to what we're talking about here, which is, hey, in this scenario where they're trying to be different, what right. things do you think we would put in for Watson? How should we prepare? We should go back and watch some 20 Texans Watson to figure out what they might be thinking, stuff like that. I expect the Bengals to be well prepared, but hopefully the Browns can throw some things at them that they're not quite mm-hmm. prepared for and get some big plays. They're going to need to hit some shot plays on them. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, it's coming the other way too. It's, it should by all accounts be a high scoring game. So, uh, no doubt. Def- definitely will, you know, something to continue to think about as we, as we inch closer, you know, now inside three weeks until the Browns kick it off against Cincinnati. Uh, the other thing you mentioned there is that is James Hudson working a little bit, uh, at, at guard, uh, which, you know, it, it kind of brings back to a, a question that I've, I've kind of had on and off throughout training camp, which is, you know, how concerned should we be about the Browns tackle depth and, uh, the, the possibility, you know, Wills and Conklin have both Smith, both missed time the possibility that, that you, you know, you would have to see either James Hudson or Dewan Jones playing this year. And, and I, I know that Jones has gotten a lot of hype uh, in the preseason for his performances. And I think he's deserved a fair amount of it, but I also think it's kind of been overkill. And uh, you know, he's, he's a rookie. He's a, four, he's a fourth round rookie who, as you mentioned, has, you know, has had some mental lapses at times and, and James Hudson also a fourth round draft pick. It, it feels like, you know, it's Bill Callahan, uh, best offensive line coach in the game, I think, uh, widely considered. Uh, but you do worry a little bit because of the the injury history of both Browns tackles that they could be in a position where they could really potentially be exposed at those positions. Yeah, they've they've done enough to be depth friendly. Um, you know, they have con- they have two starters who should play fine, and then they drafted a talented player and they've brought along James Hudson. If that that's not enough, they've invested. You know, a third round. I think Dewan was a nice no, a fourth round pick. They've invested two fourth round picks, and they've given big money yeah. to both of these tackles. Like, if there if there's not an answer in those guys, then then damn, like right. <laughs> that's no, a, that's you. that's a coaching failure. Like that to right. me is a coaching failure. Now, like I've thought Tyrone Wheatley has looked good at times in mm-hmm. the preseason. Now, I've also thought some guys like Alex Smith, I think was his name, or Alex Taylor. I apologize. Yeah, Taylor had yep. some moments in preseasons past too. I don't think they're going to keep Tyrone Wheatley, but I just will be curious to see, you know, what their answer is for Hudson, because I think Dewan can come in and play right tackle and be respectable. Hudson lacks an anchor in such a serious way that his issue will, he will get perpetually folded into right. the quarterback's lap. And that is just such a problem. So I don't have a bunch of faith in Hudson. I have more right. in Dewan, but again, that's three tackles that are functionable, you know, I think they're going to be very careful with Conklin, getting him ready to go. Yep. You know, I don't want Hudson playing, but it's possible. And, you know, they're going to find a way if that's the case to make it work with him, find some ways to help him all the time and make his, his life easier. So 
you know, I don't, I don't know, man. Like, you think you can be concerned if Hudson's out there, but again, any team who loses, you know, alignment, a, a tackle is uh, is going to feel that level of concern. You just have to find coaching wrinkles to help players helping and coaches yeah. helping, right? Yeah, I I just flash back to last year after the after the final cuts, Joe Haig got cut by the Steelers and the Browns signed him to a a multi year deal, which you know kind of caught everybody off guard. But I think if Haig was healthy and on this roster, uh, I would feel differently about their swing tackle position for this year. I mean, you know, it, it uh, it's, I, I agree with you. If, if James Hudson can't do it, that is the fault of the coaching staff. And I think we would start to ask some more relevant questions about the development of players, generally speaking. But uh, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, 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 it's just one where, because there's not a clear third tackle, I guess you could say, because Jones is a rookie and Hudson has been inconsistent, it just starts to give you a little bit of pause when you start to think about what what it looks like. It's not the same as when the security blanket was Chris Hubbard or, or you know, not that Chris Hubbard was ever a world beater, but you had a little bit more veteran depth there. And, uh, you know, it's I guess it's hard for me to think of James Hudson as a, as a veteran, even though this will be his third season. So, just something I wanted to ask based on what you had seen yesterday and some some other comments that I, I you know it's hard to picture Hudson as much more than a third or fourth swing tackle ever and, and probably never really occupying you know a starting if, role if they don't the if they don't think Hudson can do it then he shouldn't still be out there if they I right. mean like right they have three seasons of data here to work with yes. on this guy yeah. like if he right. can't do it why right. on earth do you continue to have him doing it like if Wheatley's better if you believe in him more, he should be playing in front of him and start working Hudson at guard. And maybe that'll be the case. I don't know. But to me, it's just like there's a little bit of a cross up here on some of this stuff. If uh, if you're if you're continuing to put Hudson into those spots that he can't handle. So, right. You know, right. Um, yeah, that's the concern is that, they, that, that he'll end up having to play live snaps at left tackle and just can't do it. And, you know, the Browns are kind of in a position where they've invested a lot of, you know, not, I'm not much in terms of draft capital, but a lot of development time in a player who just doesn't have the same upside as a player. Like, like for example, Wheatley, who, you know, less of a pedigree, but uh, you know, I mean, although he is the son of an NFL player, less of a draft pedigree, uh, but, but potentially more raw talent, which is what you start to worry about with Hudson. When you talk about his inability to anchor, it's just that he was, a defensive lineman in college for the most part and 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 maybe does not have the sort of prototypical offensive tackle body and yeah. so that that tends to be the concern there so they're all going to have warts hubbard had warts Hag had warts yep. they're they're not they're not starters for a reason so when these guys come in if they do come in you know if hudson's so bad that he can't handle even the simplistic part of this thing that you can't ever leave him on an island like again that to me then becomes a coaching issue you didn't help him yep. the right way you didn't do the right things to you know, get him ready to go. Right. Um, but like I said, none of these guys are perfect. If they were better, they'd be starting somewhere. Right. And, you know, it's just, it, you, you always hear coaches talk about, you know, when your backup tackles are playing, it comes down to how much, you know, what you're willing to do to help them. And, you know, it, it, it ups the level of scheme. So mm-hmm. again, I think Dewan playing right tackle, they might be showing some uh, concerns that match what you're talking about, Andrew, with this. Um, now flirting with him playing a little bit of left tackle. So like, right. I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I just, uh, I just, it feels like Dewan is a third guy. I have a little bit of faith in him to, to step in and be okay. Right. After that, Hudson, it's a bit nerve wracking, but you better help him. Yeah, and so it's it just it makes me think about the potential when you, you start to think about roster moves. 
if there was a, a swing tack, you know, swing tackles are rarely available in the league, right? But if there was a player, a depth player that they liked at the tackle position, could they make a move there? I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Yeah. It'd give them a little bit more buffer rather than having to throw Jones in in the early part of the season. Because I, I tend to agree with you. I think that those reps at left tackle indicate the, the possibility that, that maybe by as, as early as sometime during this year, Jones could be the third tackle. Yeah, he, I think he is. Yeah. Oh, you think he is right now? Oh, I think he is without it, without a doubt. Interesting. Me. Okay. He is. Uh, if if somebody's hurt, he's going in before. Okay. Uh, Hudson. I I think okay. either side. I I really do. That's I, interesting. I, I yeah. could be totally wrong on that. Yeah. But putting uh, you know, if if you thought Hudson was really your swing tackle, you wouldn't want him even touching the guard position. You know. Now you have. No, I, I hear you. You, ha- I hear you have Dewan yeah. playing a little bit of the opposite side, and it's just kind of the breadcrumbs tell me he is their third third guy. And uh, okay. They'll live with the results of of uh, if they have to put them on the left side, they'll just deal with it, right? They'll just li- li- they'll just li- they'll just live with the results. And at least he's and, bigger to get around, right? I mean, he is. At, at he least, is. Like, he's, phys- he's, phys- it does actually matter, right? Like being yeah. that size, you are going to slow guys down a little bit. Yeah, I, I I wholeheartedly think that if they threw him a lot, just like what Ohio State did for those early portions of his career, he will right. not be perfect. He will get beat. He'll have some issues, but among the teams around the league, like looking at third tackles. Right, Dewan Jones, you're actually a pretty good sh- position there. So, yeah, yeah. Um, to you know, again, like take that sort of for what it's worth, and and, yeah. and you know, I'm not going to go around the league and look at every roster, <laughs> but he's he's pretty talented. I mean, yeah, yeah. We, we we it's been well documented some of the things that have cost him being picked higher, but he had talent, mm-hmm. and I think they're starting to see that he can play. He's certainly their their uh, right tackle um, if they need if they need him. And right. I, I th- again, I think, think the breadcrumbs are telling us that if, if something happens with Jed, yep, they're they're gonna they're gonna give him that opportunity on the other side as well, at least the first okay. crack at it. So there you go. We we got fifteen minutes, ten minutes on the, the backup tackle situation. So that's the sort of depth and analysis that you don't really get anywhere else. And I'm not complaining. I brought it up, so I'm not. You know, that's fine. <laughs> I I think it's it was an area of the the roster that I think you continue to pay attention to because it, it is definitely one that's in flux uh this year and and we know that you know our our starting tackles are not sure things so all right um you know i think we've kind of talked about everything here uh that that's relevant to the browns this week uh want to look ahead just quickly before we sign off um you know to to saturday uh kevin Stefanski confirmed yesterday that the starters will play 20 to 25 snaps you know for the offense that's like two series maybe three series if things don't go that well Andy Reid typically plays his starters as well, so we, we very well might see Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson on Saturday. Which Yay. even if it's a, I mean even if it's a preseason game, it is that's a that's a high profile quarterback matchup and definitely one that will, you know, have the I think the Browns wanting to to feel like they belong because that's the whole point of this trade, right? Is that you walk onto a field with a, a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes and you don't get uh, immediately outclassed. So. Uh, anything in particular, I know that we, we kind of have already seen Watson in, in one pretty, uh, effective drive, but, uh, since then there's been a lot of panicking about the offense, anything particular that you want to see out of that, uh, work in Kansas city. Yeah. The first team offense to have a good drive. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. Um, you know, Jordan Wilkins, he's going to get some sort of opportunity. It, it feels like here, um, he had a little bit more of an opportunity at practice yesterday, Felt he was in before Felton at times, so that's mm-hmm. something worth paying attention to. Uh, if he can prove any sort of worth before they have to make a big decision at running back, we know that there are 
at least before they end up trading for Jonathan Taylor, as we all just, just know <laughs> is going to happen. Um, yeah, so uh, that's something to pay attention to. Again, you were talking about tackles. Are they doing yep. anything funky with Dewan, giving him live left tackle snaps? Great point. Right? Um, and then, you know, other than that, it's just the simple little things of defense, like who's out there. Are they going to play talk? Are they going to play Walker? How do those guys look? I think if those guys are going to be a part of your week one, unless you're just really scared of them getting hurt, they should be out there a, a little bit. So, um, yeah, those guys draw my attention. Um, secondary wise, who's playing the nickel role? If they're, mm-hmm. they're playing everybody, you know, we haven't seen them play Denzel yet, but if they do play everybody, who's playing that role? So uh, I noticed that yesterday Cam Mitchell has a shoulder harness on his left shoulder i know that they just got rid of greedy williams um but it feels like there's another shoulder <laughs> thing lingering there um yeah. but yeah that, i mean that's it i think that you just want them to feel you want to feel like you're really competitive with your first teams and then right you're just talking about after that it's the fringe guys right the how does mm-hmm. D, does diabate get a chance does that look good uh those guys trying to make the roster the end of the the defensive tackle room you're going to get Taven Bryan's going to get another chance mo hurst are those guys going to take advantage and really knock out jordan elliott and all of that. So, yeah. you know, there's um, some fringe battles that I think we've all talked about Austin Watkins and the like of, you know, we want to see some guys get this chance to crack the roster it's our last chance to prove it. So that's it, man. It's like, there's like five guys at the fringe of the roster, the Ronnie Hickman's yep. and then, and then just, you want to see your first team offense and defense look, you know, competent. It's a preseason game and you only get so hyped, but you want to see them be competent and all that stuff. So, that's what we'll be paying attention to is the final preseason tune-up. Yeah. Yeah, it'll, it'll kind of set the stage a little bit for how much we freak out or are calm or excited, I guess, hyped for the for the opener, right? Because, uh, you know, yeah. the things felt good in, in, in the Washington game, even though it was just a drive and they didn't get in the end zone. And then, uh, you know, there was that Zach Jackson report uh, about how disappointing the offense has been pretty much all camp. And so the last week, even though they held their own against the Eagles was spent just lamenting or worrying about where the offense was at. And so this is kind of the last chance for the, for the offense to kind of have the final word there before, you know, we enter that two week period that feels like it could be six months between the uh, final preseason game and the kickoff on September 10th. So uh, great show, Jake. Thank you for joining uh, me on uh, somewhat short notice to replace uh, Mike Keefe, who is on assignment for us tonight on assignment. Uh, elsewhere reporting on a, f- a football issue of great importance. Uh, I, I think Mike will be back tomorrow night for Garage Beers. I think they have like the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets third goalkeeper or something uh, as their guest. And uh, uh, then we'll have uh, OBR Weekly with uh, Fred Greetham and Barry McBride on Wednesday. Uh, and then All Eyes on Cleveland, Brad Ward, I ha- a little bird tells me that he spoke with Shelby Harris today. So uh, should be a fun show on Thursday night as well. So a great week of content here on the OBR Streaming Network. Thank you for joining us tonight. Great chat, as always. Thank you to everybody who uh, commented, participated, uh, subscribed, all of those things. We love all of your support. And uh, like I said, we will be uh, back every night this week, and then uh, we will have, I think we'll do a post-game show on Saturday, although it's a Saturday night post-game show. I don't know how many viewers that will draw. So we'll talk about that TBD on the post-game show uh, until uh, then or next week. Uh, For Jake Burns, I'm Andrew Spade. Also, thanks to Ian McBride behind the scenes. Uh, So until we're back next time, uh, have a great night, everybody, and go Browns.